0: Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1486. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. We have with us today our good friend FDH Lounge dignitary Steve Callis, and uh, again we are going to be breaking down the 2022 Stanley Cup Finals uh, with uh, Tampa Bay and Colorado. And uh, I will note uh, parenthetically that uh, traditionally on the show here uh, it has been Mano mano myself and FDH Lounge dignitary uh, and sportsology proprietor Russ Cohen, but. uh, Russ, uh, as they say, a late scratch, a game day scratch for this one here. Uh, I wish him well. You know what? He's getting to spend some good family time tonight, and I think that came up unexpectedly. And uh, so, uh, once again, uh, you know, hope Russ is having a a wonderful time. I take it he is as we are taping this. No hard feelings whatsoever, because talk about landing on your feet. uh, I reached out here to uh, Steve, and I'm like, look, man, no hard feelings if you can't do this. But uh, he was able to do it. And uh, I can think of nobody better to come in here in this spot. Russ Cohen himself would say, uh, what a way to land on your feet in this segment. And I would concur with him. Uh, Steve Callis, great to get you in, my friend. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure to do this with Rick. I'd actually love to do one with
1: Russ someday because I know he's the expert, but I'm happy to do this, and I've watched all these games. I've loved hockey since I was a little kid. My father loved hockey since he was rooting for the Rangers in the 1930s. So, you know, we, we hockey's big in the house,
0: household, that's for sure. Well, one of the next times we go to do some hockey on the show here with uh, Russ, I will have you in for that as well. And uh, I must note also here, uh, of course, Steve Callis, also sports editor of WestchesterCountyPost.com. Got to get that in there, the uh, tremendous, tremendous uh, site. And uh, this is going to be a very, very interesting Stanley Cup final. We talked about this a little bit off air, uh, a, a matchup of uh, probably the two most talented teams in the league, but so many other different aspects to this as well. Uh, I, I guess on the notion of talent, I'll start there as we look back historically. I was looking to see in in, in the finals over the last several years, and again, as I noted to you off air, not a whole lot of drama going into the final the last two years. Dallas and Montreal both kind of went on hot runs to make the finals, but very sort of uh, 2007 Colorado Rockies-esque in both cases of where they made it there and then like oops, we're here, we're going to get steamrolled, and that's what happened. And uh, you, you have to go back at least to 2019 uh, to find a very competitive final coming in. But I think you got to go back further than that. When you're looking at the talent level on both teams, I think the minimum you got to go back to is the start, as it were, of the Tampa Bay run. They made it to the final in 2015. It took them five years to get back. They had a very young team in 2015. When you consider that most, uh, not all, I should say, of their core players were there in 2015, earlier in their careers. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, and then Chicago at sort of the tail end of their great run of the early 2010s. you got to go back to 2015, maybe 2013 even, with Chicago and Boston. Those were two teams that were both in their prime that made multiple Stanley Cup final runs during that period of time. I would actually argue you go back to 08, 09 the uh, two matchups with uh, my Detroit Red Wings and the Pittsburgh Penguins, and uh, all of the uh, players on both sides there. It's interesting, as we're talking about the final that had the most uh, talented players on it, mentioned Chicago with Marian Hossa, he, of course, was on both sides of the 8 09 finals there, famously uh, at the time, so one way or another, he was a part of some of the most uh, talented Stanley Cup finals of the last 15 years, but... Off the top of your head, uh, Steve, how far do you think you got to go back to, uh, to to find one that matches up to this in terms of talent levels on both sides? Do you think it's as far back as 08-09? I do think it's as far back because for for one reason or another, you're right, and,
1: and and this takes nothing away from Tampa, but the last two years were so weird. But you're right, in those finals, you kind of knew what was going to happen, even one, when one was COVID, no fans at all. And then, you know, last year there was, I think, what, a 56-game schedule or whatever they did. Um but, yeah, I would go back that far, too, because the Blackhawks had become the Blackhawks and were on the verge. And the Red Wings have always been good, especially through, I think, the beginning part of that decade as well, even before 8 09. But, yeah, I think those were uh, two great teams who played that year.
0: Yeah, you had a heck of a matchup at that period of time. And uh, again, in terms of the history of this uh, going into these finals here, uh, there have been a couple teams from the 1980s that have been invoked in recent days, particularly in talking about what has happened with Tampa Bay, because uh, you have to go back to the uh, Edmonton Oilers of 83 to 85 to find three consecutive conference champions. You have to go back to the Islanders of 80 to 83 to find at least three, in that case it was four. Consecutive Stanley Cup uh, winners. Of course, Edmonton lost in in '83 and then beat the Islanders in '84. That was the whole changing of the guard right there. So those two teams. That's as far back as you got to go to find a run like Tampa Bay's on. We throw around terms like dynasty for what uh, you know the Penguins did, the Blackhawks going further back. Even my Red Wings over a period of time, Pittsburgh. Uh, But there's always like a gap in between. Uh, My my Red Wings of 97-98 did at least repeat. Uh, That was the last repeat uh, champion before last year with Tampa Bay. And then, of course, the Red Wings in 02 with what was easily, I think, the best of any of those teams there. But this is Tampa doing it at back-to-back to to potentially back years doing it here if they can do it again. So as far as a place in history, uh, they're, they're clinching an elite one, Steve Callis. The question in the minds of many will be exactly how elite, on what level they're at. Right, and people are saying if they win this one, you've got to view them like the Islanders and
1: even the uh, Canadians of the late 70s. It was kind of a weird time back then, as you'll recall, because the Canadians with Ken Dryden and Ned won from four in a row from 76 to 79. The Islanders took over from 80 to 83. I would point out that Ken Dryden retired. Yeah. <laughs> after the 79 uh, Cup winning. But then the Islanders won their four in a row, and then I think the Oilers won four out of five. So those are a little more than winning two and making three finals in a row, even a little more than winning three in a row. But I do think three in a row puts them into the uh, conversation. And again, when you look at their guys, I mean, Kucherov's a Hall of Famer, Stamkos is a Hall of Famer, Edmund's a Hall of Famer, Vasilevsky's
0: a Hall of Famer. We can talk about Pallot if you want. Uh
1: But, you know, they got a bunch of superstars and they've been there for a while. And, you know, John Cooper kept his job when uh, John Tortorella swept him with Columbus, which is what started this whole thing with Tampa. And it's kind of amazing, because they even heard Tortorello this week. He made the comment, we created a monster by sweeping Tampa Bay when they were the best team in hockey, right? Um, three, three years ago. Uh, so it's very interesting that that turned into, it's kind of like Virginia losing the 116 game and then winning the NCAA
0: championship yeah. the next year. But it was interesting to me
1: that Cooper... Um, kept his job, and even Bednar on Colorado, his first year at Colorado had 48 points in 82 games. Doesn't get much worse than that, but they stuck with him as well, and like I said, we've been waiting for the Avs for a few years now, and here they are, and they're, you know, they're real good.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were the best team in the West on paper each of the last three years, and they have exactly. finally, yeah, yeah, they have finally made it there. I know Tampa Bay punching their way through, and as you said, a, a lineup uh, you know, with, with a bunch of Hall of Famers in that locker room. And uh, again, uh, I, I will point out and say, it, it's, it's very, very easy to see the fingerprints on the one side, but not as easy on the other side, because somebody's not there anymore. This is Joe Sackick's Colorado team as far as team building, but this is a, a revival of what I would call hockey's greatest rivalry, because on the other side, who built Tampa Bay? my all-time athletic hero, uh, the captain, Steve Iserman. So this is sort of an extension <laughs> of that rivalry there, Iserman v. Um, second <laughs> It kind of is. Talk
1: about two great players, right? Sake yes. and uh, Iserman, my
0: goodness. Well, you know what? And a lot of similarities between them, and like, Sackick, I gotta tell you, Sackick was like the only guy that like Colorado had back in the day that I didn't loathe, and, and I would like to think. That, I mean, I know I would never root for him because of the uniform, but I mean, I'd like to think that Colorado fans felt the same way about Iserman and Lidstrom. They probably didn't, but uh, you know, there's certain guys you just really can't hate on, and Sackick to me is one of them. Even though, again, I make zero bones whatsoever about. Uh, the fact that I would like to see Colorado go down hard in this series, but I know it's going to be a super competitive one. And uh, again, and this is a thing where I do feel bad for you, uh, Steve, as a Ranger fan. Your team came that close, got there, whatever. But and, and I, I wasn't sitting there. I was not rooting against your Rangers. But at the end of it, I'm one of these guys. I have my my sort of spite firewalls, right? The teams that I hate. Like, I hate Golden State in, in the NBA, so God help me, I got to root for Boston in the finals, which just kills me. <laughs> but, like, my spite firewall, a stronger one is Tampa Bay, in my mind. I mean, the Rangers are a young team. You saw it there. They just, in the end, didn't get the job done. And I know that there were some echoes of history you saw in what happened in that series. Well, I mean,
1: the 1979 Rangers, who played those Montreal Canadiens in the finals, they actually won the first game and were winning two nothing in the second game. And just for that, I remember it like it was yesterday. That brief couple of minutes, you were like, "Oh my goodness, this maybe this could happen. What a miracle this would be!" Of course, those are in the days when you're waiting since nineteen forty, which of course would go on for another fifteen years <laughs> after the seventy nine finals. But uh, they did go ahead in Game Two, two nothing, and then the Canadians became the Canadian See, I think that team. Is one of the greatest teams of all time. Again, they won their fourth cup in a row. Dryden retired at a very
0: young age. Scotty Bowman,
1: uh, yeah, and Scotty Bowman, of course, one of the great coaches of all time. Um, but then the the the, the difference was. Um, they got steamrolled. You know, they were winning 2 nothing. they lost 6-2, and then they got steamrolled the last two games. Here, it was even almost better because they were up two games to nothing, yes, against the two-time defending Tampa Bay uh, Stanley Cup champions, but, you know, not a team that was particularly good during the regular season. I know they had some injuries. Um, and then when that series started, you know, I think Tampa Bay had been off like nine days or something, right? And they looked it. And Vasilevsky looked at it, which is highly unusual. But once again, I I got that same feeling in Game 3. We're up 2-0. And we're up 2 nothing in this game. And then when they scored 2-1, and then when they scored 2-2, and then, you know, I think it was was it Kucherov who made that blind pass to... Uh,
0: I think that was game three, uh, when he made that blind pass to Palat to win the game with, like, 40 seconds
1: left. And you're just sitting there, and I'm telling you, I had the same feeling of, oh, no, not again. And I started writing about that and doing the podcast, like, right after that. And I was like, I even wrote, man, I hope I'm wrong, but this sure feels like 1979. And sure enough, once Tampa Bay became Tampa Bay again, and once, you know, it's interesting because... We thought, and I guess we'll talk about this in the finals because the Avs will have eight days off before their first game. Um, But um, Cooper actually said, yeah, it took us two games to get get our feet, you know, to get back into it. But he thought long term in a six game series that it helped them because they had the nine days off. So that's an interesting angle on what Cooper thought about that. But my goodness, you know. I don't know when Vasilevsky gave up six goals in the playoff game, but he he did in game one against the Rangers. I don't know when the last time was before that. It probably did happen at some point. But, you know, once they dropped the hammer, even though these other games were close, unlike the Montreal series, even though these other games were close, you just kind of thought, you know, I'm, I'm kind of... Wishing they would just get to overtime because I think uh, the Rangers had a bad habit or Tampa had a great habit of scoring in the last two minutes. And, you know, nothing against Pilat, but apparently he scored that final goal, was like off his jersey or something. I thought he was trying to get out of the way. The <laughs> Sergachev Chef scored the first goal, his first goal in 29 playoff games. And originally they said he called, scored the second, but then they gave it to Pilat. And I'm not knocking Pilat. He's got 11. Game-winning Stanley Cup goals—that's incredible. But he was getting out of the way, so now he's become the only guy to score two game-winning goals. Um, I think in a Stanley Cup series in the history of the NHL in the last two minutes. And I'm like, okay, that's true, but you know, give me a break. The guy was trying to get out of the way. He gets the goal because you know how that works, right? And then even the Stamkos goal to end it—you know, another thing. The Rangers finally tie it up. The Toronto scores with 21 seconds left. Uh, I'm sorry. 21 seconds later, he scored with like six or seven minutes left in the third to tie up game six to give them a chance, and they've got home advantage if they can get you know if they can win the game. And then 21 seconds later, Stamkos shoots Shastarkin, who was great. He was off the charts. Um, he catches it in his glove, but it pops out of his glove and it hits Stamkos either in the. Uh, glove or the leg, he didn't kick it in. It might have gotten in off his shin or off his own Stamkos' glove. And I'm like, come on, how lucky is that goal? But, you know, what we've learned or I've learned in the last 15 years of hockey with the incredible camera work they have now, Rick, is so many of these goals is luck, are luck. That's why you just throw the puck at the net and hope for the best because when you watch the super slow motion that they now have, lots of things get deflected, some by accident, some by the defense. I mean, Lindgren, you know, tipped one in for the Rangers, against the Rangers, I mean, and it's just, uh, it's not, I want to say it's a game of luck, you know, you make your own luck and all that, but uh, that goal, that final Stamco's goal was pretty lucky, and the one that uh, Palat scored off his jersey was pretty lucky, but that's the nature of hockey, you know. The harder I work, the luckier I
0: get, that kind of stuff. Oh, that's exactly the case. And uh, teams like Tampa Bay, I mean, you you don't want to get to where you feel like it's, you know, a mythological kind of a thing, because you still got to go out there and do it at the end of the day. But I I do kind of wonder, looking at it now, look, you look at that first-round series, and based on Tampa Bay's deserved reputation and Toronto's deserved reputation, maybe you got to squint to see it. But I felt like Toronto played them a lot better than uh, they, they generally would have any other year. I actually picked Toronto to win the series ahead of time, and I don't feel like I was that far off. Like a lot of other series, if they would have played each other, I would have thought, "What was I thinking?" But that was a rel- that was I mean a very close series. Toronto played them very well. Uh, Florida, I mean, they got steamrolled, but sometimes that happens with momentum in a series. You get off to a bad start in a series and it can get over quickly, and that's kind of what happened there. And I kind of wonder in looking at it now if there's a little bit of a sense of where, I'm not going to say revisionism, but the, the thoughts you had at the time there, like, oh, Tampa choked again, oh, Florida's not set up to win in the postseason yet. The fact that Tampa Bay made it to the final and not the Rangers— Does this give us a little bit of almost sort of, I don't want to say, you know, retroactive sense that it was inevitable, but a sense of like, look, Tampa Bay, it was just their year in the East, anyways, you know, going into the final, we'll see what happens here, but there was no stopping them in the East just like there was the last two years. Is there a little bit of that kind of a sense if you're a fan or part of the organization or anything like that with those teams? Kind of like, of the last three years, well, what are you going to do? It's Tampa. We'll look at next year. They can't keep doing this forever. Well,
1: I mean, I love the Maple Leafs. As you know, I picked them to win the Cup. Either, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, and I and I just I never thought they were going to win Game 7, even in Toronto. I'm sorry. Once you get to that point, once they got to 2-2 with the Rangers, you're like, The steamroll is coming. So even though they were down, Tampa was down 3-2 against the Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs now have that reputation. They haven't won a cup since 67. When was the last playoff series? Isn't it like 2004? I mean, it's some incredible, you know... Back in the day, and back in the day, I mean like in the 60s, you know, the Maple Leafs were unbelievable. Either it was them or the Canadians who won the Cup like virtually every year, late 50s to late 60s. And and it's kind of sad because, you know, not only original six teams, although we know the original six wasn't really original. They started in 1942 or 3, I want to say. But, um, you know, you know what hockey is in Canada compared to what hockey is in the States. Even though it's great in the States, it's crazy in New York. It's crazy in Detroit, it's crazy in Chicago, and it's crazy in Boston. I'm just giving you the four, you know, original six teams. But they live and die up there for Toronto and Montreal, and they just have not been any good for a long time. I can't remember the last time the Canadiens won. Was it
0: 93, maybe? It it was. 93. The Canadiens forever
1: um, had as many uh, Stanley Cups as the Yankees did. And then it all disappeared in the 90s. Well, true. the the Canadians just couldn't do it, and as you said, they made the finals. But it was like, yeah, well, they made the finals. That's a good run.
0: Well, <laughs> but, that was. But no, I think
1: Tampa. I think they've literally won this a with a great goaltender, of course, but b with this incredible experience that they've had over the last two years. They've now won eleven series in a row. I mean, eleven series in a row in today's game because it's such a grind. It's for, it is true. I agree. The Stanley Cup's the hardest trophy to win. You play four series. Look at the Rangers, they play 20 games in 40
0: days. Well, yeah. I know, I I know
1: who you talk to, some of those guys are going to say, no, no excuse, no excuse, no excuse. You can't tell me they weren't all tired or or really hurt more. Everybody's hurt when you go through the Stanley Cup playoffs. But I can't fathom, even on the coach, who I think is a good coach and good for the Rangers, he said afterwards. I wish we had won tonight because then for the first time, In 40 days, we would
0: have had two days off. (laughs) Well, you know, I I will say this, like, Gallant, as he ages, it's one of these things where it just makes me giggle seeing him on the bench because if if he isn't increasingly growing into a resemblance of the Don Rickles character in Casino as he ages, I mean, you know. And, Steve, now that I told you that, you'll never unsee it, okay? You'll You'll never unsee it. But it's a thing. We, we overlook this sometimes, too, as far as Tampa Bay going into Toronto for a Game 7. And, and look, and Tampa Bay, more than even some other teams in the league, has got a lot of Euros on their team. But still, you go into Toronto for a Game 7, the spiritual successor to Maple Leaf Gardens, it's not the same building, but you know what I mean. And it's a thing where, because of the nature of the game, on any roster in the NHL, so many players in the league grew up dreaming of playing in a Game 7 in that building. So it's a thing where it's not the home ice advantage for Toronto necessarily that you would think it is. Uh, And then you know, Toronto, conversely, for any of the Euros on their team, they didn't grow up uh, dreaming of playing in Toronto for a Game 7. So the home ice kind of offsets itself in Toronto and Montreal in that sense, which is a weird thing, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. But
0: again, I think the experience so matters –
1: um, and I think this is how they get over the hump. And again,
0: after the first two games in the Eastern Conference Finals, their stars played like stars, all of them. Well, they did. And that'll put you over the top, and then when you see it's 1-1
1: and it's late, you just kind of, you're cringing if you're not rooting for Tampa Bay because you know they're just going to find a way. And I'll say it again, I thought both of those goals were, were bad goals, that Stamko's goal. But the second one just literally, and made the save, could not keep the puck in his glove. The puck popped out and, like, bounced in off the guy's glove or his uh, thigh. Or he didn't kick it. There's no way that was a kicking motion, although and no, tried. Um, but, you know, that's hockey. But these are the guys, again, you make your own luck. And Tampa Bay just, you know, I think they're going to have problems here with the Avs. And I know we're going to talk about
0: that series now. But yep. just,
1: uh, I just, it's hard. They've got the goalie.
0: <laughs> they do. And they've got
1: two cups in their pocket. So they're going to be hard to beat, I think.
0: Big game advantage a big game uh, you know team there with with the advantage of having been there before being you know certified winners which Colorado is still trying to prove that they are that's the edge goalie is the edge uh, and then uh, again in, in many other areas you might even potentially give uh, an, an edge to uh, to Colorado we'll, we'll be looking at that uh, a little bit here but what I do want to ask you about as, as far as how that goes is the, the, the route to the cup final for both teams. You look at it here, and I think it was probably momentary insanity on my part because I picked Colorado before the season, before the playoffs, and something made me, I, I, I was just looking at it with Edmonton, I had a weird feeling that maybe they were going to stay on that roll because I didn't think they'd get past Calgary. So I think it was a little bit of like, okay, well, they fooled me once. Uh, maybe this is their year. Uh, No, I was wrong about that, decidedly so, as their lack of depth was uh, exercised, uh, you know, out there uh, very, very ruthlessly by, exposed I should say, by Colorado, but as you look at it here, uh, it it strikes me uh, all along the way here that uh, Tampa Bay had the tougher route, and again, you could look at it like it took more out of them, but on the other hand, Uh, it could be a matter of uh, being more battle-tested, and that for Colorado being a team that really has something to prove after the last two years being the most talented team in the West and not getting there, uh, it it, it strikes me that with Tampa having had the harder path to travel here that they proved something that Colorado still kind of has to prove, I think.
1: Well, I think there's some truth to that. Um, Again, though, for Colorado to sweep Edmonton,
0: I mean, Edmonton still has the... Right. And the two
1: leading scorers, McDavid
0: and Dreisaitl, but right. they really did shut him down. Now, Dreisaitl looked hurt to me the last couple of games and
1: give him a lot of credit for sticking in there. I mean, he just had some terrible luck in addition to an injury. But, um, you know, Mike Smith, 40 years old, the, the goalies to me are so important. Uh, and, you know, so you look at a guy like, uh, you know, even though it's just I say now to me, he can win a cup. Braden Holtby, all those years, uh, Joe Stajek and I used to say, "Braden Holtby can win a cup. He can win a cup with the Caps." Yep. And he didn't win a cup till um, till Trotz became the coach. And then after one year, they got rid of Trotz, and now they've reverted back to what what they were before Trotz was there. But there are certain guys you look at, and you know, when I look at Darcy Kemper, frankly, do I go, "Yeah, he can win a cup." Mm, not really, but I picked him at the beginning. Uh, before the playoffs, and I'm going to stick with them because I thought they could be so dominant. I know in the first 12 games, I didn't keep up on this number, in the first 12 games in the playoffs, they scored 55 goals, in the, uh, and they were 12-2, and two. so that ties the all-time record of, you know, getting to the finals in this now four. You could, you could play, in theory, 21 games, you know, three seven-game series to make the finals. Nobody's done it better than 14 games, and Colorado tied that record like seven teams have done it. But nobody, so they're 12 and 2. It's the old. They'll be, you know, they'll be okay or they'll be well rested because they swept Edmonton. And I will point out, although Tampa was terrible by their own admission, including Vasilevsky, in game one into game two against the Rangers after waiting nine nine days. You know, Colorado had a long... Colorado swept Nashville in the first round and had, I think it was, seven or eight days between playing St. Louis, a pretty good team in the second round, and Colorado won game one in overtime. So we'll have to see. I think Tampa has a big advantage game one based on what happened to Tampa against the Rangers, but maybe Colorado... You know, you can't duplicate it. You can't duplicate game speed. You can't duplicate a game when you're sitting home for seven or eight days. You could practice. You could practice hard. You can take all the shots you want. In any of these sports, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, it's not like playing in a game. So we'll see. I find that as an interesting angle in terms of game one, will Colorado be a little rusty, rusty enough for Tampa to take uh, advantage of it? And the other thing I'll say about Tampa is when they get a lead, boy, they are hard to catch and virtually impossible to beat.
0: Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, their goalie, Vasilevsky, I mean, is pretty much like the equivalent of a closer in baseball, you know, kind of like Mariano Rivera, essentially. And, uh, well, you may not like what I'm about to point out here, which is you mentioned Barry Trotz. Of course, he went to the Islanders after that, took them to the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row. There's been some talk made out of what uh, Tampa Bay did to New York teams in the last several (laughs) years here, the Rangers and the Islanders. (laughs) I hate to do this to you, Steve Callis, but I'm going to go a step further. If we throw baseball into the mix, Rays and Yankees, I mean, this is pretty lopsided over a period of time, and you being a New Yorker, you can speak to this. It's got to make it worse, in the sense that New Yorkers live and die with their teams, and their teams keep losing to fans of an area that are have the reputation, anyways, of being casual at best. Oh, we beat the Yankees in another series. That's great. Oh, okay. Oh, wonderful. Wake me when the World Series is done. Uh, that's probably got to make it even worse when you look at the nature of their fan base down there. It, it, it's hard to believe, but they are the uh, they're the land of champions. Although uh, obviously the Rays haven't won the World Series, but between Tampa and then the, between the Lightning and now the Bucks, that one year also, yeah, it's just it's incredible. I did go to one Tampa Yankees game
1: in Tampa in 2002 with my family, because we went to Disney World and my son was a Tino Martinez fan, and we're getting off, I'll just be very brief. (laughs) But we went to see Tino play for Tampa Bay, because my son put a curse on the Yankees once they signed Jason Giambi. They'll never win the World Series while he's here, and of course he was right. But we we went to see them, and it was the second day of the year, and it was like nobody there. And it looked like they were playing on a pool table. That's what I remember about (laughs) going down to Tampa to watch Tampa play anybody. It, the field is so weird, and the rules are so weird, but I don't want to get too far afield. But you are correct. It's terrible. It's kind of wasted on those Tampa
0: Bay fans. It really kind of is. And before we get into the nitty-gritty of the series, one last thing from that period of time with Bernie Williams. Is is this with Tampa Bay with 11 straight series wins, is this sort of the anti-Bernie Williams? Because you talk about, previously, the distortion with the postseason baseball home run records Tampa Bay has had to do this over a shorter period of time because there's longer rounds in the playoffs here. So I sort of feel like they are almost inverse to the point that you're always making about Bernie Williams and Babe Ruth. Well, I think there's some truth to that. It, it, it is such a grind now, and, you know, when the way, way back when there were six teams, in retrospect, that looks ridiculous. And certainly when I was a kid, you could throw out, like, the Bruins and the Rangers every year. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was the same four teams in the playoffs. and I don't remember...
1: I've looked at the history of the 50s into the beginning of the 60s, but, you know, for like 10 years, either Toronto or Montreal won. I think maybe the um, Blackhawks won one year in like 61 or something, and that was their only
0: cup at yep. that
1: time. But uh, it's interesting. It used to be much easier. You know, a lot of people in New York are saying the Rangers are never going to get back now. Whereas you look at them as a young team with a great future, it's so hard. And look, you know, they had to go 7 7 6. That's why they played 20 games in 40 days. But um, you know, a puck bounce here, a puck bounce there, hits a skate, and you're eliminated. You know, Yeah. we were fortunate, I thought, to beat them. Give them all the credit in the world. You know, they came back from three one with the Penguins and three two from Carolina, including beating undefeated Carolina at home in Game Seven. So they get credit for that. But you know,
0: the knock on them is they played against two backup goalies. Well, they that's won the true. series they won both series, but they played against backup goalies. Absolutely, and that uh, definitely makes a difference. Uh, and something like that. Uh, I'm going to uh, break out here uh, the FDH-NHL Stanley Cup playoffs cheat sheet here for 2022. This is available on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com. So here is a statistical breakout of both teams here. Uh, it ultimately, in, in the final average of all of these numbers, Colorado placed fourth in the league Tampa Bay placed 6th. Interestingly enough, neither of them on the top tier. Colorado's at the top of the second tier, but there was a break. Florida, Carolina, Calgary all scored well above where Colorado was at in 4th place here. But hey, Colorado and Tampa are the two teams still left here. And our final power rankings for the season. Colorado was 2nd, Tampa Bay 6th. Power play percentage for the season. Colorado 6th, Tampa Bay ninth. Penalty kill. Colorado 16th, Tampa Bay 12th, Fenwick 4. Colorado was 11th and Tampa Bay 18th. Fenwick against. Tampa, uh, Colorado 9 and uh, Tampa Bay was 6th. Shooting percentage. Colorado 6th, Tampa Bay 3rd. Save percentage. This is interesting. Colorado 6th, Tampa Bay 10th. I think probably uh, owing in large part there to uh, Colorado's superb defense and protecting their goalie. Uh, SRS Colorado was third, Tampa Bay eighth, and uh, again, that averaged out to uh, Colorado being fourth, Tampa Bay sixth. Who sits between them, you might ask? The aforementioned uh, Toronto uh, Maple Leafs. Uh, They finished fifth, but they're sitting at home watching this as they are every year uh, this time of year, so... In those numbers there, it's very interesting, it's very counterintuitive that, uh, again, the save percentage for Colorado, somewhat marginally better than for Tampa Bay, although uh, Vasilevsky is a great regular season goalie, but he is an all-time elite postseason goalie, so I think that probably accounts for that, and as I said, Colorado's great defense protecting their goalie, a lot of times that can make a difference there as well. Uh, Tampa Bay only 18th and Fenwick 4, so... Uh, For a team that's very strong on the puck possession, that number a little bit surprising. But it's a thing here where I kind of look at this, at where these teams are at now, and I guess sort of my macro-level explanation of why Tampa Bay comes in somewhat kind of statistically behind Colorado in a number of areas is probably the approach that they took this year, which is what got them back here. Because me, you, and so many people that didn't pick them to be in position for a three-peat just figured. It's the grind. It's it's the whole thing of getting back there, getting back there. And again, my calves and the Golden State Warriors did it four times in the NBA in the mid-20-teens. Uh, but, you know, that's unusual. It's unusual to keep getting back this far. So I'm not saying that Tampa Bay necessarily took a little bit of the edge off for the regular season. But when I look at these numbers, I do sort of get the sense that they weren't exactly breaking their necks to try to get home ice or anything like that. And by the way, they knew at a certain point they weren't going to get home ice because of Florida. So, right. you know, that they paced themselves going through this. That's that's what I kind of see when I look at these numbers. I
1: think that's 100% right. And again, when you have the experience that they have, and you're right, Vasilevsky is able, like very few goalies, to really pick it up as good as he is in the regular season, to really pick it up in the playoffs. And the closer to elimination or a a closeout game, as you said, he's one of the great closers of all time. Um, I think they just know what they have to do, and that's why I think they have a chance to win. I may not pick them, but um, as I said before the playoffs started, you don't want to play Tampa.
0: No. And, you know, in in looking at this here, uh, let's take this from either side of the coin here. I mean, if Tampa Bay wins... Who do you think is going to be the most instrumental player? I mean, when you look at it, I mean, Kucherov is somebody who is arguably a top five player in the league when healthy, and you've had to sort of put that designation on him the last couple of years, much as you had to with Stamkos before this season. This year was Stamkos, that was pretty much kind of the Iron Man out there for 81 of the 82 games. Kucherov being as great as he is, I'm still going to say Vasilevsky for Tampa Bay because that is by far the biggest between the two teams here. And again, Darcy Kempfer, you know, he has done an amazing job there in Colorado. He's gone out there. He's done what they needed for him to do. But there are some questions about his health right now. And Vasilevsky being the guy, essentially, he has seized the mantle as the dominant goalie of this generation and maybe getting to be one of the dominant goalies of all time. I'm going to say if Tampa wins that he would be the key player. Do you agree?
1: Oh, 100%. He's the cotts Smythe winner if they win, I think, because the goalie is the biggest position player in all sports. Mm-hmm. It's not the quarterback. It's not the starting pitcher. It's the goalie. And that is why, unlike in the NBA, a 7 or an 8 seed can win the Stanley Cup. 7 and an 8 seed, you play in that dopey 7-10 thing now, whatever that is. You essentially play for a chance to lose or get crushed by the number one and two seeds. Certainly the one eight, but uh, I think the Kings one is an eight seed. Once it can happen in hockey, it can't happen in basketball, and it doesn't happen in basketball. And you even look at you know three zero three one in the NBA. I think only your Cavs are the only team down three one to come back and win. Uh, I would say to you they could thank Draymond Green for getting suspended, but whatever, and never 3-0. In hockey, 3-1s have happened rather frequently, including, I know the Rangers did it this year, and 3-0 has even happened three or four times, I can tell you. I think it's the 42 Stanley Cup finals. The Leafs came back from 3-0 to win the Stanley Cup. So, it can happen. Why? Because if your goalie stands on his head, no matter how good or bad you are, you have a chance. And we've seen over the years that goalies stand on their head. So, Vasilevsky, who will not have that eight or nine day rust time, uh, they have a big advantage in their goal. In fact, it's their biggest advantage, it seems to me. Other than that, I think the Avs are probably a better, deeper, faster team. Um, but yes, if Tampa wins, I think it'll be Vasilevsky. And if the Avs win, I don't think it'll be Darcy Kemper or even uh, Francois, the backup, because I don't even know who's starting. You know, Kemper's ready to go, he's 100%. But uh, Pavel Frances was six and zero after Kemper went down. So, do you ride the guy who is six and zero, or do you ride your starter who hasn't played in a while? It's an interesting question, and I was looking for the answer today, and so far it hasn't been announced. Yeah, Um, I I don't know if you prepare for two goalies like you prepare for two quarterbacks, but you know maybe they don't want to announce it till the final, you know, whenever they have to. I don't know if that's the day before or the day of, but. As of uh, today when we're taping, I hadn't heard anything about, you know, who's going to be the starting goalie, It's just kind of a big, important question.
0: Well, sure. And look, Colorado would rather have Kemper at 100%, but the next best thing is keeping Tampa Bay off edge uh, until uh, potentially Wednesday night because, again, you know, to your question, yeah, I think it is going to matter a little bit. You're going to have different scouting reports for either goalie uh, either right. of them is going to have different areas to aim for, whether it be the five-hole or top shelf or whatever. Yep. So, yep. And, and honestly, I don't know enough about the intricacies of the two to know how much the styles might match up or not. Uh, that's something where uh, Russ Cohen might be able to tell us that, You're you know, right. on, on the granular level. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, that's, that's a super granular level. By the way, and I'm obligated to gravy train for a little bit, as you mentioned, 3-1. That uh, I I got a Facebook memory today, and you might have seen this uh, when I when I brought up the Facebook memory. That uh, on this date in 2016, uh, when the Cavs were down three-one, I've told the story before on the show. I had never before worn. A friend of mine went to the Cavs Chinese New Year night uh, celebration and got me a wine and gold Cavs Chinese or Cavs Chinese New Year Cavs Chinese New Year shirt. And uh, I'm like, what the hell? I'm going to wear it tonight. And I wore it for the last three games, didn't wash it in between, so it probably could have stood on its own by game seven. Although, to be honest with you, I think it still smelled more like the cardboard box it had been sitting in. But, uh, you know, yeah, that uh, that happened. And as you said, doesn't happen in the NBA unless you're Golden State in 2016. Harumph, harumph. But, uh, you know, in the NHL, it could happen. It's not as likely to happen and from that great memory of the Cavs to what would be a bitter reality for me if Colorado were to win it, and uh, as I flip the question over, I'm going to say the player that would be the different biggest difference maker because when you talk about the outstanding, dare I say, elite job they do of protecting their goalie, I'm going to put it on Cale McCarr. I think that it, it is going to be uh, him just absolutely playing out of his skull uh, if he can get it done, uh, you know, for for Colorado, if they're able to do this. Uh, a guy that was better than a point per game uh, as a defenseman, uh, 86 in 77 games, plus 48. Uh, not the highest on his team, by the way. Devin Taves at uh, plus 52, uh, but uh, still, uh, I'm, I'm going to say Makar, who I think is a top 10 player in this league at only age 23, and a, a guy who... I have seen for a while sort of coming for Victor Hedman, coincidentally. Like, Hedman, to me, year in and year out, I think of him just about being the best defenseman. And McCarr for his brief period of time in the league, I've seen him looming for that designation. Uh, This is something I would not want to see, but you could see a changing in the guard in this series if he can step up and be elite and help Colorado get it done. Would you agree that he might be the most important player if, if they get it done, or would you be thinking McKinnon or one of their top snipers? Well,
1: you know, McCarr is their leading scorer, which is kind of incredible. Seven goals, 15 assists through the
0: playoffs. And as you also know, the Conn Smythe Trophy is for the whole playoffs, yes. not just for the finals.
1: But I think I still might go with McKinnon because somebody with incredible
0: talent is going to have to beat Vasilevsky. Yes. And if they can't score as good as McCarr
1: is, um, I think McKinnon, you know, <laughs> I was so disappointed in the, in the prior series. McKinnon scored a goal. He had the puck behind his whole net. Uh, behind his whole goal, he literally, you know, skated the length of the ice, went by four or five Oilers who tried to stop him, and scored a goal. And I'm looking, waiting for the announcer to go, here's a Bobby Orr goal. But they don't even say that anymore, Rick. I guess Bobby Orr hasn't played long enough. But uh, McKinnon has incredible speed, and he's a pretty tough guy, and he already has 11 goals and 7 assists. So he's right behind McCarr. But certainly it's very hard to me for a defenseman, to win, but a defenseman who leads the team in scoring, which McCarr does right now, is certainly a possibility. But I'll go with McKinnon, because I think he's waited a long time to be here, and now he's here. Now, if anyone can stop him, it's not only Vasilevsky, it's that Tampa defense, again, especially if they get a lead. But I'll, I'll go with uh, McKinnon.
0: Well, and it's very, very interesting, because again, when you look at the chronology of it, and McKinnon is somebody that I also consider to be a top 10 uh, player in the league right now, uh, again, this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, how loaded both of these teams are, that, you know, McKinnon came in and he had uh, the, the the whole mark when he came in of being potentially uh, the highest ranked uh, number one pick since Stamkos, uh, which I think was in 08. Uh, but uh, I, I think McKinnon had been the most highly rated prospect since then, and then he gets usurped. Uh, shortly thereafter by Connor McDavid. And he, he was able to put Connor McDavid down in the last round here and get past him. And now, you know, you, you've got Stamkos, you, you've got Kucherov, who is also uh, now up there as far as one of the elite winners in the game and everything like that. So uh, given that, again, there had been that talk that McKinnon might have been the highest-rated draft prospect potentially since Stamkos, when you look at McCarr and Hedman, you look at McKinnon, And uh, you know, uh, Stamkos. uh, I I really think that uh, there there are some interesting kind of uh, changing of the guard type uh, things that might be coming out of this, which again would just horrify me from my perspective. But I I must be, you know, I I must be uh, honest and point that out here that there are these possibilities when you look at things, guys like me, and you look at things from a historical standpoint. And there is that kind of historical standpoint here. That and again, as much as I personally would not want to see Colorado go over because of my Red Wings fandom, uh, that it would be one of these interesting sort of things of a two-time champion getting it kind of wrenched from them, which is something that we sometimes see in sports of where that will happen and uh, like what the Pistons did to the Lakers in the late 80s and everything like that. Sometimes you, you get that moment where a team will wrench it from them and... I think, as you've been saying, Tampa Bay seems more likely because they seem to have less question marks health-wise and otherwise. But Colorado, if they do this, that's what this is going to look like uh, from the historical uh, standpoint, at least in the moment, uh, of of seizing the mantle from the best team in the league and from some of the best players in the league over the last decade plus. Yep, I agree. And as we look at this here, uh, again, I... uh, like I said, I had my moment of uh, momentary insanity uh, going into the last round when I did pick uh, Edmonton in seven in the West Finals. It was the only time I had deviated from uh, Colorado winning here, so that set me up. I've actually been, through the first three rounds of the playoffs, uh, pretty good here. I've been 10-4 uh, overall on this here. Uh, that was one of the only wow. ones I missed was uh, Edmonton. I've, I've, I've had a pretty good run, although... Uh, Particularly early on, like in the first round, I know there were some series that people thought kind of were more toss-ups that I didn't necessarily think were toss-ups. And so it, it, I think I went 8-0 the first round, if I remember it. And to be honest with you, I remember feeling like this is like the most unimpressive 8-0 I can ever remember, because none of, them, none of them felt that hard. Although I was in the minority on St. Louis over Minnesota. There were a lot of people that thought Minnesota— I went with the experience of St. Louis, and it was enough to get them into the second round. But as I look at this here, uh, again, we keep talking about this, you know, and the health involved here. So whether it be the health of, uh, you know, Kemper for uh, Colorado, who's going to be a net. Uh, you've got uh Kadri, who uh, is uh, going to be out uh, at this point here uh, with, with, with his health issues. Uh, you have on the other side of the, the, the coin here, uh, Braden Point, who has been, uh, one of the b- biggest clutch players the last couple of years for uh, Tampa Bay in the playoffs. Uh, he is due to be back, they're saying, at least in the early part of this series. So whether we see him in Denver or not, uh, Tampa Bay really needs him because he's been a big difference maker over a period of time. But up and down the line, they seem to have less uh, question marks. And the question of wear and tear if it's the third consecutive postseason, again, uh, you know, like you, you and I said, they haven't really had their foot on the gas this whole season. They've been kind of saving it for this moment a little bit here. Again, you know, Kucherov famously didn't play any of the previous regular season, just came in for the playoffs. And it reminded me a lot of Sergei Fedorov in 98 uh, coming off of that big holdout with the Red Wings, the way that he was just on fire the second half of the season you know, with the fresh legs and everything like that. So Tampa Bay has tried to stay as fresh as they can under the circumstances. The wear and tear of three consecutive finals runs hasn't taken its toll on them yet. We'll see if it does if it goes seven, because I see it going seven, but I think they're going to go into Denver and they're going to make it three years in a row. Colorado, as much as I hate to admit this, they're going to get there at some point, but it's not going to be this year. I'm going to say Tampa Bay in seven, the three-peat in 2022. What say you, Steve Callis? Well, I'm gonna go the opposite way. I'm gonna say the abs in six. Um, we also forgot to mention Cogliano, who had a I think he had pump surgery, but yes. apparently, there's a chance that he can come back for the abs. Yeah, Kadri a big loss. He's the number two center. He's a really good player. Uh, and
1: apparently he might come back but you don't know when. I know they for game five and six against the um, Rangers and apparently uh, game six was like a game time decision. He didn't come out for warm up so he knew he wasn't going to play. But Cooper said he's going to play. He just doesn't know when and he will play in the finals. Again, you don't know what that means. What are they talking about? I thought Bednar said that uh, even Cadre was like practicing or skating. You know, does that mean he's skating by himself? Um, but I think Colorado, they have so many weapons. I mean, uh, McCarr is, is a star already. It might be the passing of the guard. I mean, um, Hedman's 31 years old, but he's got a lot of miles in him. Um, and this guy is one of the best skaters in the NHL. You know, McKinnon's one of the fastest skaters for the front guys. McCarr might be the best skating defenseman in the NFL, in and the, and the NFL and the uh, NHL, and that's a big statement. Yes. But again, he's also the leading scorer, 22 points. McKinnon has 18 and Landis, Cog, and Ratton then have 17 points apiece uh, in the playoffs. So they have their own lineup to match up, I think, with Kucherov and his group, uh, including one defenseman, Hedman, who's got two goals and 12 assists. So there is a big difference in um, in goal, and it's hard for me to get over that. But a couple of other things quickly. Um, the Avs are 7-0 on the road. They've outscored their opponents 36-20 to on the road. When does that happen?
0: Right. Um,
1: And so I think that means something. Um, I don't know that it means a lot, but it means something to me that obviously they can go on the road and win. Um, But I think I still like the Avs. I'm going to stick with them because I definitely picked them before the playoffs on the air with Joe Stazak. Uh, If I hadn't picked anybody in all and was picking now, boy, I would have it as a toss-up. I know the Avs are the favorite. Uh, I'm, I'm, not big with the gambling, but they're a bigger favorite than I thought they'd be. I, I thought if it was like, if you could do a point spread, it would be like a pick <laughs> Or maybe the Avs would be favored by a point or two or something. But they seem to think it'll be just more. I don't know that they can overpower Tampa. Like, they've overpowered these other teams because of Vasilevsky which is why we both agree if Tampa wins, he'll be the Conn Smythe winner. So I do like the Evs and six. I just think they're good enough to do these things. They're good enough to win on the road. Um, although interesting to me, does Tampa have an advantage in game one? Because if you give Tampa a game in Colorado to start the series like the Rangers got, Although the Rangers had home ice advantage, of course. I think that's going to put, I, I said at the beginning, I wish the Rangers were playing in Tampa. If that's going to affect the nine-day layoff, it's going to affect them. Because I'd rather get one in Tampa than almost two at home. But we'll see. I think game one, again, is a very big game. And once again, I don't want to forget that, you know, Colorado swept Nashville playing St. Louis, and they had seven or eight days off, and they won that first game in overtime, so they had enough to get an overtime win in game one, which is pretty impressive in and of itself. So we'll see what happens, um, but I'm going to go with the abs in six.
0: Very interesting, and uh, you you raise an interesting point there as far as whether or not teams should be able to defer home court slash home field (laughs) slash home ice. Like, well, we think we can split on the road here, and we'd rather do that and come back to our building and take home ice that way. So very interesting as to whether the Rangers should have the right to ask for that. Yeah, I don't think the owners would go for that, though, because if you get to that Game 7, you get that extra full house, biggest game of the year, and think of the money they'd be giving up, and these guys won't give up 10 cents, as you know. Well, true. That's an excellent point. But, uh, again... Uh, so much great uh, thought and analysis on this from you, Steve Callis. Uh Thank you so much for uh, coming in here. This has been uh, just an amazing breakdown here uh, that we've been able to do on this series. ABC gets a real winner with these two teams here this year. I mean, if you can't make hay out of having probably the two most talented teams in the league in the finals, and again, that doesn't happen very often in sports. These tournaments kind of weed out the teams over a period of time. Hell, they weeded out Colorado each of the last two years. So it seems very rare when you look at it in any sport. And again, when it was Cavs-Warriors for four years, you knew it was them. But that's the exception to the rule. Most years, it's like, oh, so-and-so got hot and made it to the final. So this year, it's not that. It's the two best teams, teams loaded with talent, should be very exciting games. These games may not be over until the very end. Uh, a couple of them, so we'll see how it goes. And it has an excellent chance to go seven. I think it's a lock to at least go six. So we will see. Steve Callis, uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. My pleasure, Rick. Always a pleasure to do this stuff with you. Uh, Great to have you in, buddy. Thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, for joining us for FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1486.